according to National Geographic, pufferfish or blowfish tend to be able to inflate themselves into a ball and in a, in a strange kind of way, these sort of clumsy fish that swim in this clumsy way fill their elastic stomach uh, with air, with huge amounts of water as well, and actually make themselves a lot bigger than they really are several times their normal size. And I guess children could probably look at them and thinking they look really cute. But actually, they also have a toxic substance that makes them very foul tasting and potentially very deadly to other fish. The toxin is deadly to humans about 1200 times more deadly than cyanide. And there is probably enough poison in one puffer fish or in one blowfish to kill about 30 adult humans. And there is no known antidote to it. Do you know what? Like blowfish, like pufferfish, sometimes our egos can become so inflated by our pride. And maybe from a distance we think, well, those are just some people that are very full of themselves. We use that expression very often. And they look arrogant and we think, well, that's just a quirky thing. But the reality is that pride is incredibly toxic and poisonous and can cause the death of so many relationships through the conflicts and the toxic influences in marriages, in family, in workplaces. Pride is incredibly destructive. And this is really what Paul is continuing to talk about as we keep journeying in the letters of the Philippians. We saw last week how Paul is speaking into the, in the context of relational conflict in the church, some of it coming from outside the church through false teachers, and some of it created by just relational strain inside the church. And I love the fact that Paul, as a loving pastor, is addressing this. Sometimes people can be very tempted to say, we shouldn't really be talking about these kind of things. We, we shouldn't really have arguments. We shouldn't really deal with this. But Paul knows that it isn't healthy. It's toxic and poisonous for a community and it's toxic and poisonous for people involved in relationships to have these conflicts. And he begins to speak into the conflict. But instead of moralizing and just simply wagging his swing finger at them and, and telling them to be good Christian women and good Christian men, he does something far more profound. And he calls them to unity, but from a God-centered point of view. He reminds them of the great things that God has already done in their lives and what their identity is and how they should live out of that identity. But he continues to build his argument and really at the very heart of unity is the issue of humility. And he continues to delve into this real challenge, this relational and pastoral challenge, by bringing some really healthy advice that makes people go a little bit deeper. And instead of just talking about unity, now he begins to talk about humility and he uses Jesus' example to exhort him to unity through humility. That is a very healthy approach to do ministry. So very often we can either 
as Christian leaders send people on a guilt trip in order to try to get them to live in the right way. Or other times we try to big them up, hoping that they will respond to the challenge. Instead, what Paul is doing, he is pointing them towards Christ. And this time he's pointing them towards Christ's example. You see, the beauty about Jesus is that Jesus didn't just talk the talk about humility. He also walked the walk or walked the talk. He embodied what he preached. And this is what Paul is really talking about in this next part of the passage that we're looking at in Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 5 all the way to verse 11. And this is a fairly known, well-known passage if you've been in the church for a while. And also it's a very well-known passage because it's incredibly poetic and Bible scholars very often would look at this and they would see it as almost like an early church hymn or a piece of liturgy that actually has deep theology underlying in its words. Emil Brunner, the Swiss uh, theologian, often he said it describes the Lord's career and it's like a mathematical parabola and basically it's sort of Jesus coming on our earth, descending in humility and then dying on the cross and then being risen and ascending into ruling in glory again. This is a beautiful piece of writing but in it it isn't just theology, it isn't just liturgy, it is practice, it is real lifestyle, real attitude of Jesus that should inspire us. First thing that I want you to notice is that humility for Jesus is sacrificial. Listen to the words of Paul on how he describes Jesus. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. What Paul is saying when he is bringing the example of Jesus to the very forefront, if you want, Jesus is the poster boy for humility as Paul is driving home this argument. Paul is talking about Jesus renouncing that high status of what he calls equality with God. He's saying Jesus isn't grasping, isn't holding on to. And, and you can have the image of a politician that had been caught in a compromising situation and really had lost credibility, but embarrassingly they just cling on to power. Paul is saying Jesus is not clinging to what was actually rightfully his. He's not like a dictator that is trying to squash people who are standing up against him, justifiably. Jesus had all the rights to remain as the Son of God in the comfortable place of his divinity in heaven. But instead of clinging to what was rightfully his, he actually descends onto earth. Paul is saying he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a servant being born as a human. So basically what Jesus is doing is not 
holding on and clinging on to his rightful privilege, but he's letting go of that privilege, which is mind-blowing and it's incredibly impressing. But secondly, he embraces the limitations of becoming a human being. God, the divine, becoming human. And that's what incarnation is, which is what we as Christians celebrate around Christmas time through Jesus' coming and being born into our world as a baby. This is amazing because this was voluntarily. Jesus, he gave up his divine privileges. This was an intentional, personal, uncoerced decision that Jesus took. This was not something that he had to do. This is something that he wanted to do. And that is a huge sacrifice. Why does Jesus do that? It is because he wants to be obedient to the Father. The Father had a rescue plan to rescue sinners, the people in this world that had broken their relationship with him. The Father finds a way to mend that relationship. It is again God's initiative. It's almost as if God is throwing a bridge over the gap in the relationship. And Jesus is that very bridge. And Jesus is coming and letting go of his royal divine status and becoming a servant, a slave as Paul is calling him, by becoming a human being. Why? Because he wants to obey the will of the Father and fulfill the Father's plan of salvation. He wants to be that bridge. Why? Because he wants to get us out of the sinful state we have been in. C.S. Lewis, in his book Miracles, writes that actually the, the central miracle of Christianity is the incarnation. It's, it's, it's what Paul is talking about, this humility of Jesus that is so sacrificial by coming in our world. And this is how C.S. Lewis describes it. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being, into time and space, down into humanity. But he goes down to come up again, again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One has this picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. Or one may even think of a diver, first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in mid-dead, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through the increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting, till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand his precious treasure. That's what Paul is saying. Embrace humility, just like Jesus. Let go of his divine status and of his privilege and humbly, sacrificially came into our world to rescue us. The Apostle John describes Jesus' uh, life like this. He says, Jesus, John 6, 15, 
Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Jesus is so different than any leader you have ever seen. Instead of looking for adulation and praise and glory and personal gain, when he senses that people are trying to make him an earthly king, he runs away from it because Jesus is humble. He came to serve. Again, you would remember this beautiful episode in Jesus' ministry described again by John, John 13, 5. Jesus poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he was girded. Once again, this is literally hands-on humility, sacrificial. He was the rabbi. He was the teacher. He was the boss. He was the CEO. And yet he humbles himself sacrificially by doing the most menial job that a servant should have done. Not even one of the disciples, but a servant. And yet Jesus shows them incarnationally what it looks like to have sacrificial humility. This is what Jesus is like. This is what humility looks like. It's not glamorous. It's sacrificial. It's painful. But this is our model. This is our motivation. This is why, as Christ followers, we are called to live in unity through humility. But Paul is building the argument even further. And humility in the life of Jesus isn't just about sacrifice, but it's also about love. Humility is sacrificial, but humility is loving. Listen to Paul's words from verse 7 to verse 8. When Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. If we talked about the incarnation and Christmas, Jesus descending from heaven unto earth, this is the other significant point in, in the ministry of Jesus. You have the incarnation and you have the crucifixion, which Christians celebrate at Easter time. And Paul is saying, I want you to remember that Jesus came at Christmas time, and I also want you to remember what we're celebrating at Easter when Jesus gave up his life on the cross out of love in order to become that bridge that bridges the relationship, the broken relationship brought into the world by Adam and Eve's sin. Jesus becomes the bridge, but in order to be the bridge, he needs to pay the price for humanity's sin. And this is exactly what is happening as Jesus is crucified. As Jesus is crucified, he demonstrates the supreme act of love, bringing salvation. It's the most moving thing that you can ever see and hear. And we've seen few examples of this situation where a parent would, 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 would save the life of their child out of love. And yet it's so rare. But in that, there's somehow a bond, a connection that has an element of selfishness. When it came to Jesus dying on the cross, he, 
There was nothing that we, me and you, did to, to make ourselves likable to him. There's nothing that we did for him. There was no blood relation. In fact, the, the Bible, when, when it talks about the relationship before Jesus died on the cross, he said we were God's enemies. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. This is love. Not the schmaltzy, valentines, superficial, sugary kind of love where we give something in return for something that we already received or we give something in order to receive something. All marred in selfishness and self-centeredness. This is totally selfless. This is the purest of love. He humbled himself and died on the cross, a criminal's death on the cross. This is the ultimate act of love. And the crucifixion would have been public and shameful. The crucifixion would have been incredibly painful, a, 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 a gruesome act of torture. And yet Paul is saying, this is what humility looks like. It's motivated by love. Love with no strings attached. Love that loves for nothing in return. Love like Jesus, who gave his life for us on the cross. And you know, Paul is saying he died a criminal's death. He was not a criminal. He was the very opposite of criminals. He did everything to help people. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He fed the hungry. He connected with the outcasts. He was anything but a criminal. How unfair. How unjust. Yet Jesus, because he loves us in his humility, he's willing to give up his life to show what that love looks like. I mean, this is unthinkable. We've already looked that this is a divine Son of God who comes and becomes a human. He was righteous and pure and sinless. He didn't deserve to die for sin. But that's exactly what Jesus does. Not for his sin, but for my sin and your sin in order to pay the price. This is what humility looks like, Paul is saying. Humility is loving, just like Jesus was loving when he gave his life on the cross. Listen again to John's words in John 6, 38. Jesus is saying, For I have come down from earth not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus' love was filled with a sense of obedience in fulfilling God's redemption plan. In Matthew 20, 28, it says, Jesus encouraged the disciples to be servants and humble by saying, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what humility looks like. It's sacrificial and it's loving. And Jesus embodied both those things. One of the early church fathers, uh, incredibly brilliant brain, particularly 
wonderful writer in, in the area of the Incarnation, Athanasius, said those words, Jesus became what we are so that he might make us what he is. Jesus became what we are so that he might make us what he is. Jesus' desire is that as he comes and rescues us and as we become submitted to him and he indwells us and he's our saviour and our Lord, there is something about the life of Christ with the same humility that can flow out of us, Athanasius is saying. That's what Jesus has come to do. The same humility that he had, sacrificial humility, loving humility, he wants me and you to display the same kind of humility. And we need it. Listen, I am not a prophet, but I am going to tell you that you are likely to encounter relational conflicts. Some of them would be in relationships. And really, the, the relationships that we have in our lives are probably the canvas on which our pride is best painted on. If you want to look for signs of pride in your life, you just look at your relationships. How many of us have felt that and experienced that in our family life where we feel tempted to be the person who has to have the last word? Well, there's some pride in there. How about our workplaces where we are perhaps being treated badly, where we are facing the situations in which we are unnoticed? We see others progressing more than we do and us being bypassed. And there's all sorts of stuff stirring up within us. And certainly that isn't humility. We can look at situations in the church. You know, the church is filled with human beings. Sometimes people get quite shocked thinking, whoa, how is this happening in the church? It's because there are people in the church. There are people who are constantly being sanctified and changed by God. And there are conflicts in the church because so very often we all come with our own way and our own agenda and try to impose it on everybody else. My way should be everyone's way. And when it doesn't happen, we get upset and conflicts arise and pride comes up. We see it in generational contexts where there are fights, where advice is being dismissed, where we feel like we know it all. We see it on the social media channels that we're part of, where we look at somebody else's life without realizing it's edited. And we wish we would have the same life. We become jealous. Sometimes we get to join the army of keyboard warriors who feel like they have to comment on everything and particularly shoot arrows and try to hurt others. Pride just lurks and appears and begins to hit others. But those who are the followers of Jesus, they know there's a different way. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, to follow Jesus, for me, it's quite simple. You, first of all, let go of yourself being the king on the throne of your life and let Jesus take that role. And then you listen to what Jesus is teaching through his words. And then you live it.
So you let go and let Jesus be the king in your life. You learn by listening to what he's teaching and then you live by letting him live through you. And the one that was able to live the life that Paul described is the one living in me. And he's able to live through you and through me the same kind of life. So let's not hide behind that, oh, it's impossible for me. I can't be humble like Jesus was. Because that's actually theologically incorrect. If truly we are submitting to Christ, if truly we are listening to the words of Christ and we're letting him live through us, we could live the same life supernaturally as he really is in charge of everything that we do, everything that we say, our reactions when we are being treated unfairly, when we are facing conflicts. Christ can live through us the same life he lived. And you know, this is the hardest battle we would ever fight. The hardest battle we would ever fight is with our own pride. It was the cause of the fall, both Satan and Adam and Eve. But the beauty is, if you flip the coin, the sign of humility in a person's life is such a beautiful testimony of the redemptive work of Jesus in our life. There's probably no greater sign than to see the humility of Christ lived through the life of a Christ follower. And it's possible. It's there. Paul describes it when he writes a letter to the Galatians. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does humility look like? Jeffrey Collins, in an article called It Happened on a Friday, wrote these words. It had been a trying week at our ministry called Love and Action. It was five o'clock on a Friday. I was looking forward to having a quiet dinner with friends. And then the phone rang. Jeff, it's Jimmy. I heard a quivering voice say, Jimmy suffered from several AIDS-related illnesses and he was one of our regular clients. I'm really sick, Jeff. I've got fever. Please help me. I was angry. After a 60-hour work week, I really didn't want to hear about Jimmy. But I promised to go right over. Still, during the drive, I complained to God about the inconvenience. The moment I, could, I walked through the door, I could smell vomit. Jimmy was on the sofa, shivering and in distress. I wiped his forehead, then got a bucket of soapy water to clean up the mess. I managed to keep a facade of concern, even though inside I was raging. Jimmy's friend, Ross, who also has AIDS, came down the stairs. The odour made Russ sick too. As I cleaned the carpet around Russ's chair, I was ready to explode inside. But then, Russ startled me. I understand. I understand. What, Russ? Jimmy asked. I understand who Jesus is. Russ said as tears began to stream down his face. He, 
he's like Jeff. Weeping, I hugged Russ and prayed with him, and I began to share the gospel again. That night, he trusted Jesus as his personal saviour. A God who had used me, feeble, weak, upset, angry me, to show this man his love, despite of myself. Jesus, we thank you so much for your incredible humility. We thank you that we have no words to express how amazing it is to think that you became a baby and stepped into our messy world and lived and ministered and encouraged and preached. But then if, as if that wasn't enough, you gave your life on the cross for me, for my sin, to reconcile me with the Father. Thank you so much for this flesh and blood, tangible, sweat and blood type of humility that you showed through your sacrifice and through your love. And I pray that you would fill our lives afresh so that you could live through us so that in our conversation, in our connections, in our involvement and conflicts and difficulties with the people around us, in the family, in the workplace, in the community, on our social media, what they will see is not us. So we could say together with the Apostle Paul, for I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead, I'm gone. No more me but instead it's Christ living through us. That's what we're praying and that's what we're calling for, for the humility of Christ to clothe us every day so that as we walk and talk and live, people will see you in us and desire to follow you. Amen.